you know, I really need to stop saying that I'm done doing a thing because it inevitably happens where either life events or boredom or just misdoing this happens, and then I, I do the thing again. So I said I was going to stop streaming, and I was like, I'm done forever. And oh, my God, you'll never see me on Twitch again. You'll never see my face. And then two months later, I, I, I come back to streaming. And then I say, you know what? I'm going to be done with doing my solo podcast because I'm doing Organization 2 with Raziel's Flame, twitch.tv slash Raziel's Flame, exactly like how it sounds. And that I want to dedicate my time to just doing that one. And therefore, Vanny Ranson is done. And then I decide, like, you know what? I actually do kind of miss a solo podcast as well. I'm having a lot of fun with Raziel's Flame. Organization 2 will continue every Saturday on twitch.tv slash Raziel's Flame for the time being until we uh, start working on some other stuff. But you know what? I actually do kind of miss just sort of like speaking into the void and seeing if anybody listens. And especially with this past weekend with the Final Fantasy Fan Festival and also finishing Resident Evil 8 earlier in the week, it just kind of felt like, yeah, I, I want to I keep doing this. So I don't want to call this a, a relaunch. We're going to call this... Let's just pretend like episode 16 where I'm saying I'm done just never happened. How about we just go with that, huh? Let's let's do that. So, yeah, welcome back. We'll call what we did a hiatus. That's what it is. We'll call this a hiatus. At least that's what I'll tell myself. Anyway, thank you so much for coming back to Vanny Rants On. I am, of course, Vanny. You guys are listeners. I would say stuff about Patreon, but I also, for realsies, I did shut down the Patreon, at least for the time being, because of Organization 2 and really not generating content that I was necessarily happy with or feeling like I was, I felt like I was taking money from patrons, honestly. Like, I, I enjoyed making content for uh, for folks, and I feel like I, I'm still small enough where it doesn't feel right to charge people for it, so... Yeah, so the Patreon, for at least the time being, the, is going to be shut down. I'm going to be exclusively just doing podcasting for the time being. And you know, like I said, at this point now, who knows what the future will bring. But for the time being, podcasting. So, but yeah, hope you guys are doing well. Got a couple things we're talking about here over the week. Two major things have happened. Uh, one is Resident Evil 8 came out uh, the previous Friday. I played it through the weekend, and I finished it on Sunday, which was, what day was that? The ninth, Yeah, I finished on the 9th. And right off the bat, it is my favorite Resident Evil game. I am not a diehard fan by any stretch. I really respect the franchise in general, minus Part 6 and that weird multiplayer shit that they keep trying to do. Like, the what was it called? Oh, God. Operation Raccoon City. And I feel there's something for the PS2. Maybe that's what it was called. But I know they've tried it on a couple different occasions. It always blows up in their faces. Or the Umbrella Corps, I think is what it was called. And, yeah, they're just, those are terrible. Resident Evil 6 is so bad it's funny in a certain regard. Like, I remember streaming it a few mo- uh, years ago and having more fun just seeing, like, God, this is bad versus actually appreciating it for being survival horror because it sure shit fucking wasn't. But 7 was overall pretty good. Ever was an evil game up until Part 8 has had a section that I didn't care for. There's either a boss fight that I thought sucked or was boring or was frustrating, or in the case of Resident Evil 7, the entire boat segment towards the end of the game, I hated that part. I thought it just stopped the pace of the game to a complete standstill, and really didn't do a whole lot that I felt 
uh, like a another video cutscene would have handled just as easily. But Resident Evil 8 honestly kept my attention from start to finish. I was really, really happy with the game overall. The visually was stunning. It's actually the first game that my PC was like, yeah, bro, we can't do max settings. It, like, I was honestly taken back. Like, I have a 2080 Ti. Nothing that I've played so far has ever even come close to, like, really breaking it on just, like, the standard just click on default settings and put max settings on it and call it a day. Like, that's been more than fine for a 2080 Ti. Resident Evil 8, I put on the absolute max default uh, settings without doing any sort of tweaking, and Resident Evil just kind of laughed back at me. We're like, nah, bro, no, you're not doing that. So, super shocking for me. It was kind of like that reminder of, I love my rig. It is a wonderful piece of hardware, but it it's going to be due for upgrades in the near future. Probably in the next year or so, I'll have to start looking at building another one, which is exciting. I'm, I'm really excited to do that. But even at pretty high standards, it's a gorgeous game. I was so blown away by how pretty this, uh, this title was. And no more... Uh, stands out that just the actual enemy variety that you run into you because in part seven you just ran into either the baker family or the moss monsters and this time there were wolfmen there were weird zombie things there were the giant monsters for each of the four bosses that you came across plus the final end one all of it out of this world gorgeous to look at especially the fight with lady debitrisku debitrisk sexy vampire lady that one that boss fight while not difficult, was really, just visually, it was just stunning. And again, ran silky smooth on my rig. It was unbelievable to watch. Again, not the hardest thing. I had a sniper rifle. You just pick her off uh, and like the little key spots, which seems to be a trend with a lot of Resident Evil games as of late, where all the enemies have a very obvious glowy spot that you have to hit. And you just hit that a few times, and then you're, you call it a day. You move on to the next area. So probably the... This is probably the one Resident Evil game that I died the least in for a first run-through. So I think 7 I died on more than a few occasions, just even just going up against regular trash. And with 8, I'm honestly thinking right now of how many boss fights are I lost to. I lost against... I didn't lose against the final fight. Lady Dia didn't... Uh, the frog dude? No, no, no. None of the boss fights, I think, actually got me. I think it was a couple of trash monsters and one environmental section. That is very reminiscent of Resident Evil 4, which this whole game is a very much an upgrade like Resident Evil 4 was. There was one section where you just had to do some timing right of just moving across platforms, and I just wasn't getting the timing right. And aside from that, though, it's a pretty smooth uh, start-to-finish um, experience. And between that, overall fairly solid combat, as long as you're reasonably responsible with your ammunition, you don't ever really run out. And... There were a couple of moments where I was super depleted, but I don't really recall a point outside of maybe one instance where I had to use just the knife to, to survive. So okay, a testament of really good game design and really great layouts and a focus on crafting too. So really appreciated just the amount of nuance that went into like combat in this game. And it was the first one to actually introduce real crafting outside of just crafting ammo or mixing herbs together. You actually had to like, make your own ammo on the fly pretty regularly. And you also had to craft food, too. Because this is the first Resident Evil that I'm at least aware of that had legit dish, like, food hunting. So you go out, you see some animals, you, you slaughter them all, you grab their, their sweet, delicious meats, you take it back to the super fat guy called the Duke, 
he will make some shit for you, and then your stats get a permanent boost. I will say I don't really notice outside of some of the health boosts any real effect for it, but whatever. I was super happy with it. So the story itself is... I, I think overall it's good. I, I, I really do. It has a very strong, very strong ending that does sort of resolve my only real concern with the game, which is the main character that you play as, Ethan. Who has genuinely gone through some weird shit. He's the same dude from Resident Evil 7. And he's just had the worst fucking luck of any person in a Resident Evil game. In that he's lost limbs, they grew back somehow, or they get reattached because... I guess so, because video game logic. And, like, he's gone through absolute hell. But he always approaches everything like it's the first time he's ever seen anything paranormal. And it's super weird. And it's only in cutscenes. Like, whenever once you're actually in combat, he's fine. Like, you, you can aim down his sights. He can shoot without much of an issue. Like, he's not panicking at all. But it's just in cutscenes is when he's, like, you know, like, Oh, my God, what are all these monsters? Ah. That's exactly how he sounds, by the way. But uh, he's just so goddamn derpy throughout the whole thing. And there's story moments where really basic context clues or cluing will tell you what's going on in terms of, like, you have to find these four MacGuffins, and there's four lords of this village that you're in. And Ethan's like, well, who's got the MacGuffins? It's like, who the fuck you think has the four MacGuffins, dumbass? Of course it's the four lords. Go kill them. Super dumb. And he does do some dad jokes in the beginning of the game as well, which I can honestly appreciate because it does give Ethan a bit more character. But once you're actually in the middle of things, he is overall a fairly boring character until the end. And I don't want to spoil it because it's only been out for about two weeks at this point. But it is a really, really sharp uh, character change for him where he has a lot more soul and emotion and he's less of like this generic hero uh, like or more like the triple the average dude put into abnormal situations and a genuine honest to god hero and a good dad and i really do tip my hat to capcom as only a manderville man can that's the thing that i see with just making ethan a genuinely interesting character by that point so i don't like i said i don't want to spoil it it's really really good and i highly encourage you to play it it's also for me one of the scariest resident evils for me personally it is the scariest I beat the game in about 11 hours. I think it was like 10 and a half, all things, or 11 and a half. And it really wasn't until the probably 60% mark. Like, I was freaking out pretty consistently. The enemy placement was really smart. The cutscenes were just absolutely just evoking those jump scares out of me. And the sound effects were just, again, just spectacular. Just really, really good job of just setting up ambiance and... And that genuine fear of walking into what is basically just hell. It is, it's Resident Evil 4 in 4K HDR, all of its glory. And it works. It absolutely works. You do run into the sort of the problem you get with a lot of survival horror games, where after a while that fear factor does start to kind of melt away because you start getting better weaponry, or you start seeing the same sort of enemies over and over again. But even towards the last third of the game, I was, I had a couple of jump scares. There were a couple of really good enemy placements that really did freak me out and i think the the only thing that i really ran into earlier on that was like a little meh was when you're in sexy vampire lady's house and you're just solving a couple puzzles and lady d is like your tyrant or your mr x of 
the game where she is stalking you throughout the her map. But also, she's not terribly difficult to escape from. So the, that initial fear does start to kind of go away to the point, like, when you run into her, it's less of, like, oh, my God, she found me, and more of, like, all right, well, let's figure out how I can trick her. Oh, I can just go to two uh, rooms across and just avoid her completely. I think she got me w one time for one of her, like, grapple animations, and I that's a big if now that I think about it. But still, the overall experience, the environments, everything else, the, the actual visual storytelling is still so so great that the fact the enemies are kind of dumb... It's not, not a deal-breaker by, by any stretch. And what they do a really great job with is, even though they're, they even the enemy AI being kind of dumb, they get you in numbers. Especially very early on in the game, there's a moment that's, again, very reminiscent of the first real mission Resident Evil 4, where the odds are very much stacked against you, and you just feel super overwhelmed, and I loved it. It was such a great sense of dread. And I, I haven't thought of a game since uh, beating, beating Resident Evil 8, that had the same sense of, like, you are just super fucked. And, again, just kudos to, to Capcom for coming up with with at least breaking that mold of this kind of game where you are just so completely overwhelmed. And it does play as a story element for it. But also, I found out, if you kind of go back and do another repeat of the game, you could totally uh, run through it and win. So, yeah, I actually wouldn't mind maybe in a few months when the a lot of my like, muscle memory of what to do in the game wears off a little bit. I wouldn't mind trying it again, but also trying that first major area with a lot of the new items and see if I can actually run through that. Because I think if you do clear out that uh, that first section, you skip a boss fight by default. So, pretty neat. Pretty, pretty neat. In, t in terms of just real, like, like criticisms for, for the game, I don't really have much other than just Ethan's derpiness through the first 85% of the game. And I do get the idea of what they're trying to go for, and they do at least explain why he's able to, you know, assemble what, uh, like ammunition as well as he does, and can keep his calm and all that. Is that he went through military training? It's not that's not a huge spoiler. It's mentioned very early on as a throwaway line in the first few minutes of the game. But yeah, it's just his, his overall reactions, and whenever he questions things, you know the answer, dude. Like every gamer who's playing this knows the answer to the questions that he's asking. Is just just don't do that. Just be, just don't be you for that. Just be the guy who's at the very end who kind of like steps up to the plate like for realsies. So um, one thing I will say, the game does have a post-credit uh, scene that is absolutely worth watching because it does set up the the rest of the franchise. I will say that if you do watch uh, the podcast I do with Raziel's Flame Organization Two, we did speculate on theories for what Resident Evil Nine will look like. I was. I was right on some stuff, but I was way off of what the sequels are going to be. Which, again, that's super exciting for me. So, especially if you're a PC player, you don't have to wait too long before this game drops in price. And you can pick up at, like, Green Man Gaming, or there'll be a Steam sale fairly quickly. And it is totally worth purchase. I spent, I think... Oh, no, I did spend full price on this. I did spend the full 60 bucks on it. Worth every penny. Had a lot of fun with it. We'll definitely go back to it later on. And really curious, again, what Resident Evil 9 is going to look like. So... So I did that. In terms of stuff, other stuff that I've been playing, uh, at least for the past week, I took a, a week off from work and did a little bit of traveling now that I got my second COVID shot and felt a little safe where I can at least get in a car and drive. And, God, I, I did not realize how much of a break I really needed until, like, probably, like, Thursday or Friday of, uh, of last week. But I really did play a whole lot of games uh, since then. 
Uh, since we, I, I took the hiatus, I have played through near a, a bit of near Replicant. I'm really enjoying that. The music is out of this world. It's so, so good. And the story so far is pretty engaging. The combat's a lot of fun because I believe they're using the near Automata like combat engine or some of the like the elements from that into Replicant since that's uh, remaking a prequel. I'm digging it. I definitely want to keep playing more of it. I did pick up the Mass Effect remastered. It's Mass Effect. Of course, it's really, really good. And... Steam d uh, does have a couple of uh, mixed reviews on there that I do agree with. One is being the actual options to choose, like for your graphic settings, are really limited, which is a bit disappointing considering there's going to be a huge PC population that's going to be playing this and you're limiting graphic uh, tweaking. It's a bit sucky, but it is EA, so you know, what? it can't be perfect. It just can't. But you're still getting a really pretty 4K HDR version of Mass Effect. I'm totally good with that. And I did pick up Pokemon Snap. I already returned it. It just I, I understand now why people enjoy Pokemon Snap. Because I worked at Electronics Boutiques, which then became EB Games and then became GameStop. And like I remember seeing the N64 demo units there at work and people playing Pokemon Snap for like open to close in a couple instances that come to mind. And it was like, you're just taking pictures of Pikachu. Who the fuck cares? But then it came out on Switch. I was like, let's give it a shot. And GameStop does have a deal where if you buy the game and you don't love it within 48 hours, you can return it back for store credit, and then I use that store credit to buy a Steam card to get Resident Evil 8. But having played it for a couple of hours, I get the appeal now. It's adorable. It's relaxing. There is the challenge of trying to make sure you get that right, that just perfect shot of a I don't know Pokemon names. Doing something adorable, I get it. I totally get it now, and I don't see myself ever going back to play it, but if they ever drop it to like 20 bucks, like on sale... Yeah, that could be something kind of fun to, to mess around with if I'm absolutely bored. But I don't really see that happening too often because Final Fantasy XIV still exists. And that is the the big thing I want to talk about. I want to kind of get the things that don't have as much of an emotional reaction to me out of the way. Because every time I think about Final Fantasy XIV, especially this past weekend because this was the fan festival, I have I just start to kind of tear up a little bit. And even right now, like, I'm... Ooh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Um, we're going to get to the emotional stuff in a bit, but I do want to talk about the fan festival because the, this, this did happen over Friday night uh, through Sunday morning, uh, at least here in California. That's the way the time zones kind of worked out. It started at Friday at 6 p.m., ended day one, ended uh, Saturday morning at 4 a.m., and then Saturday night at 6 p.m. it started up again and then ended uh, this morning at 4 o'clock in the morning with the Primals concert and the cl closing remarks, which was absolutely beautiful. And I'm thinking about it now, and I don't want to I, – I really want to talk about that, but we're going to get to that in, in a bit. Uh, because, again, that I might cry at the end of this podcast. So let's at least talk about the the opening ceremony and the opening remarks and the announcements for Shadow, or Shadowbringers sequel, Endwalker, which great name. And we did get to see some new territories. So we did get to see our new hub city, Old uh, Charlian. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And it was really cool to hear Yoshi P, the uh, producer behind the game, and, and really the, the man who saved this game, talk about how when Final Fantasy XIV was first being created, that they had the idea of having six uh, initial cities, and that this old Charlian was going or Charlian was going to be one of them. But having six giant hub cities with its own quest lines and story and character and music and all that stuff is a lot of work, and so then that eventually got whittled down to three. And totally makes sense. It absolutely does. I will say, of the territories that we've seen since A Realm Reborn, so between Ishgard, uh, Kugane, the first uh, territory, so like the Crystarium and Ulmor, 
And now we're seeing Old Charlotte. Old Charlotte is probably the more most traditional looking of the territories so far. It does look much more like I think there's some territories in Heavensward that I'm trying to remember. I think it's Ilford is memory service what it's called. It reminds me a lot of that. And that being said, they almost showed us the outer architecture. The expanded trailer they also uh, released does show some of the internal architecture, which does look really, really cool. We do get to see now a new etherotype crystal, which instead of having the more traditional crystal look to it, it looks more like a rounded off like orb sort of thing. Really gorgeous. I, that to me just keeps sticking out as just being so unique looking now in Final Fantasy lore. To see it like a new kind of crystal was really, really neat. Like, I'm, I can very much see Square trying to release that as like a pendant. And I may or may not buy that. So, yeah, the, of the territories, like, probably the most generic I've seen uh, of like the major towns. But then they also started showing off uh, Thavnir. And Thavnir is just hot damn, people. Hot damn does Thavnir look cool. Very much like an Indian sort of feel to it. Like, you do see a lot of, like, very bright pastels and almost kind of like Ilmeg, but where Ilmeg, I felt, was a lot more muted color. So you do see a lot of, like, those, like, like the, I'm not trying to think of what they are, the Fae, um, where you do see lots of, like, pinks and blues and greens. They're, they seem a lot more faded. This is bright and shiny, so it stands out, especially when you see the the walkthroughs of the, uh, I was about to call him the Warrior of Darkness, but he's back to being the Warrior of Light. As a paladin walking through these territories, he sticks out like a sore thumb because his, like, just silver and white armor stands out compared to the pastels, which I think does, uh, it does a really good job of just kind of doing that comparison and, like, just having that, that distinct look compared to how your characters look. I, like, I'm a fan. I'm very much a fan. And then seeing a lot of, uh, like, these really elaborate, like, elfin statues and stuff, really really cool and the music was great too we also got to see uh, labyrinthus which is one of the towns in old charlian again it looks fairly generic by comparison so i'm kind of bouncing back and forth a little bit sorry the music is a little odd um it's probably not my favorite track that i've heard so far for a town town music but the one kind of unique thing though was that they they announced that uh labyrinthus is underground but you can see that it's got like a cage kind of thing, almost like the inside of the Crystarium does in Shadowbringers, where it has like kind of like that like dome kind of look for it. So, but that, so it kind of just gave me the impression, okay, cool, it's just a giant dome. But no, you're underground somehow. So we'll have an explanation for that. And we also got to see um, the moon, which has its own territory called Amar Lamentorium. Lamentorum. And the moon looks really cool too. Like I would have thought they would have just stuck with just a bunch of craters and maybe some caves, but. There's a lot of character in there, and they've only shown one section of the moon that you get to explore. So there's going to be a lot more things we're going to be able to get to see. I'm hoping we get to actually see Lunarians, like Fasoya from Final Fantasy IV, since Final Fantasy IV is a huge, huge influence in this expansion, which is really exciting. And you also get to see um, the Empire's uh, region as well, too, which is, the name is uh, Garlemont. Um which also again, like it's by comparison of everything else, where everything is either new or unique and just really gorgeous. Uh, Garlemont uh, just looks completely just fucked. Um, like it's been ravaged by war. It's been ravaged by all these, um, like just all, like all the internal conflict that's been going on since the emperor uh, had died. And now Xenos is really just not giving a rat's ass about internal politics. He just cares about the 
like fight his next chance to fight the warrior of light. That's really cool. Um, yeah, Garlemald. I just want to make sure I was pronouncing that right. Garlemald. Yeah. So just again, just a lot of contrasting sort of imagery. So you have, I think, the more standard looking of old Charlian. You have the, the standard look, but with a, a little bit of uniqueness with uh, Labyrinthus. Then you have the very bright and shiny uh, Favnir, the very dark and de depressing Garlemald. And then you have the fucking moon, which I'm wondering is going to be if that's going to be like the last location you visit. Just considering, again, part of the whole Final Fantasy IV sort of theming and all the cutscenes that they've shown so far. Like, the moon seems like it's such a big deal and it's on the, the cover of the uh, of the game. All of it just looks so, so good. I'm I'm thinking that's going to be where where the game ends, or at least where 6.0 ends, and then we'll see what happens in 6.1 going forward. So, yeah, for territories and music so far, really good. I love the theme music. I love all the music stuff. Like, the my only one that I'm like, I could probably do without would be the La Labyrinthus theme. But everything else is just traditionally just excellent, including what I'm assuming is going to be the dungeon theme music. With, and I believe that's going to be Golbez's theme, which, again, so good. Like, I, I have a very personal attachment to Final Fantasy IV because that was my first of the franchise I ever got to play. So all of that music for me hits so personally, and being able to hear Golbez's music with that Final Four, Final Fantasy fourteen sort of flavor to it is absolutely wonderful. And I'll sing, especially with the launch of the the Lunar Whale as a mount now, like worth absolutely worth the thirty seven dollars for it. And then again, hearing that remixed music, oh my god, it was so good, so so good. And we also did finally get to find out what is our new job class and it's reaper i kind of figured it was gonna be something scythe related i have been talking about stream about what we think the name was going to be and i know people were thinking like death knight or necromancer but that to me still screams very world of warcraft and like just it didn't fit right for me reaper is i think uh is an appropriate name for it it very much looks like a cross between bloodborne's like cover art character and d from vampire hunter d which again i'm all for i think that just it looks amazing. The idea is going to be a melee DPS class, kind of along the same lines of like for the, those who play like Ninja or Dragoon or something like that, and probably closer to Dragoon. But it's getting besides using a uh, two-handed scythe, is that you get to summon an avatar, which is a ghost that will fight alongside you. So you attack, and then the ghost will kind of appear and then give a slash. And apparently, the ghost can also possess you temporarily, and then gives you some stat boosts. I love that. I think that's just really like the uh, enough of a difference that the game really does need to have that sort of like a darker tone to it it absolutely fits with the Endwalker sort of theme for it too of just like and Garlemald too of everything just being kind of fucked and that's also what Xenos's job class changes become too so Alpha Node goes from uh, Astrologian to a Sage and Xenos now goes from a, a I guess Samurai then to a Reaper really cool Re uh, absolutely digging that I'm kind of surprised that they're calling it the ghost and avatar and not like a wraith just from a naming standpoint or just calling it just a ghost but yeah i'll take it I, I still think that once endwalker comes out that i will pick up sage first which is crazy for me because i don't i get so stressed out playing a healer class and then i'll try reaper later on but i'm excited for both this is the first time where uh job classes came out where i'm genuinely excited for both like and uh for shadowbringers I was excited for Gunbreaker and Dancer. Like, Dancer, I was like, okay, that, that seems kind of cool. But it wasn't something that I was, like, genuinely, like, holy crap, I want to play this. 
this was the first one where like, yeah, I really, really want to play both classes. But Sage ekes out me just a little bit more because it just looks fun. Like that barrier class, the do type weapon name that I can't never pronounce, all of that just sounds really, really fun. So they announced that they announced the new territories. They did do a bit of a recap of the the stuff that we heard about during the the big announcement. So about the the Harvest Moon sort of minigame, the Into the Land or the Harvest or whatever it was, Pandemonium, which is going to be the eight-man raids. They did announce the new 24-man raid uh, as well, which, did I write that down? I think it was called Myths of the Realms or something like that. Uh, did, did I write it down? I did not. Yeah, Myths of the Realm is what I called it. At least that's what I wrote down. I hope, hope me I'm right. And uh, I'm excited that both of those things are going to be, the 8 and the 24-man are going to be brand new content, so it's not going to be based off of like Final Fantasy XII, or it's not going to be a tie with Nier, like uh, Shadowbringer did, although I did really love the Nier stuff. All right, let's see here. We got the announcement of, of the two new uh, Beast Tribes, so the Magus Sisters, from again, from another Final Fantasy IV reference. Really cool, because... The Magus Sisters for me was one of the first bosses that, that I remember encountering as a kid that did have the tactics of what the fuck are you supposed to do because you can't just go kill all of these guys. You have to kill them in a specific order because one of the Magus Sisters can heal. And like that just broke my brain as a kid. So to see them again as um, at, like now it's a beast tribe quest that's neat like i think that's gonna be really neat i don't really mess a whole lot with the beast tribes so far in 14 but it's still something on my to-do list that i need to work on and the loperates so one of my mods on my twitch channel was saying that this is that's a final fantasy 5 reference i thought it was final fantasy 4 with naming way like that was just the, like the naming way like character race but either way still they look adorable and it kind of leads to the next thing which is the, the collector's edition where you get a little plushie of that and it looks so fucking adorable. So, the collector edition that of the actual presentation, that is the the one thing that I was like, what? Because they're doing four different editions of the game. So, they're doing the of course the base game. You get the the digital deluxe edition. There's the collector edition box, which is just the physical items of the game. That's for the PS5 and Steam players because you can't they can't give a code for some reason which I don't quite understand. I I know I bought a collector editions before they had Steam codes inside as a little slip, so I'm kind of curious as to why they're doing it like this. And then the full-on collector's edition for $200, which is what I thankfully was able to pre-order, where you get all the physical items, which is the Lapertos plushie, you get a pin, you get a bunch of really nice art spanning the the history of the franchise, going all the way back to the original Final Fantasy XIV, all the way up through Endwalker. A frame for it too, so it's and it's an interchangeable frame. But I'm gonna frame all of these things myself and put them up in my wall, my new apartment. You get a absolutely gorgeous warrior of light statue as the the warrior as a paladin, which I was surprised about because considering that Shadowbringers Collector's Edition was a warrior of darkness statue, I was figuring they were gonna kind of switch it up again because Heaven's Word had a dragon head, Horace Felger. Then you had Stormblood with Xenos. Then you had the Warrior of Darkness for Shadowbringer. So they've, they've been changing the theme around between Amount, the villain, the hero. I do see why they would have the Warrior of Light as the final one for the story arc too because it just seem, does seem to round everything out and it would look really nice next to the Warrior of Darkness statue. I personally was thinking up until this point we're going to get a Hydaelyn and Zodiac statue. That was just my two cents. That's what I was kind of guessing for it. Just again, kind of keeping with the theme of just something different every time, but I am not complaining. I am absolutely not complaining about that statue. 
they also have a lot of these extra special effects around the statue that are apparently removable. I think it's a nice touch. And let's see, is that everything? So you, they are not giving you a, a case for the game this time because, again, it's all going to be digital stuff. And not the end of the world for me. I don't collect cases or steel boxes all that much, so it's not uh, not a huge deal. I do also respect the fact that because I, the idea of having a steel box for a game that's not in there seems a bit odd. Like, for example, when I bought Doom Eternal, I got a... I actually ended up getting two steel book cases, but when you open up the one that was inside the box, because the other one was a gift from Best Buy, it's empty. It's just a code in there. So it's it's a bit self-defeating as to why you have it. You have it there so that way you can kind of fill out the your shelf. But I, I'm not that kind of a collector. I am definitely a collector, but I can do without a case. So all that stuff for 200 bucks. But yeah, it's just the kind of difference because even when they were explaining it during the presentation, it was like, okay, guys, this is getting a little weird. If you're a Steam player, you get the first thing. If you're a PS5 or a Steam player, you get the second thing. Or PC, PC Mac, the first one. Steam and PS5 is the second one. If you just want digital, regardless, you don't care about the physical stuff, here's your digital one. If you want the standard, here's the standard. It just, like, adding an extra layer to it just kind of gave me a weird, like, Ubisoft vibe because Ubisoft is super weird about the collector's editions and will have multiple different versions of statues or different kind of special editions. Like, there's the gold edition, the game, the complete editions, and collector's editions. Is it, is it bad? I don't, I don't need that shit. So, it's not the one, now that it's been a couple days, it's not, it is definitely not complicated, but just it was complicated for Square. And that was a lot of the, the major announcements for it. We did finally get a release date too, which is going to be November 23rd. Early access players, so those who pre-ordered, uh, will start playing on the 19th, which falls on that Friday beforehand. And they also ended it by saying, we're going to get a couple things here. Um, one is we're getting uh, Mail uh, Vieira now, which was something that the fans have been asking for for a long time. Was They said initially that they weren't going to be doing any more races, and they they are keeping their word for it, but they didn't say anything about changing uh, about any new genders. So we are going to be getting uh, male Vieira soon, and then we will be getting female Hrothgar. I think that's a nice touch, and it's such a great testament to Yoshi P, where he says like we were we were contemplating do we just wait until both are ready and then just release them both at once, or do we wait or do we just uh, roll them out as they're done and we figured let's just roll them out as we're done, and just that level of transparency I thought was really really cool. So we got that. We got the release date. The We got the bunnies. They also did announce, which I thought was neat too, the Oceana data centers too. For uh, I know a couple of folks who are in the Australia areas. Now they have their own data centers. I think that's fantastic. Again, it just it's a real testament into showing how much time, attention, and care kind of goes into, uh, into this game. And a lot of it does really stem from Yoshi P. And we're starting to get closer into more of the emotional stuff for it here too. Like... There was a couple things that I really did enjoy about the opening ceremonies. One, of course, is besides the content, because the content was all overall really solid and got me very excited for for Endwalker coming out in November. One was Yoshi P was wearing his Reaper costume the entire time. And you could tell that dude was not super comfortable wearing all that stuff. But he kept it on. He, d- he even kept the hat on, too, and he had to keep tilting his hat up just so he could be able to read the chat that was uh, that was going on. I, I was watching on YouTube and seeing him still reacting to stuff was really, really cool. Also, um, Michael Christopher Koji Fox, uh, his translator, and also one of the lead localization uh, leaders, and also one of the, the singers from the Primals w- was up there too. That dude's just fucking awesome. And um, when there's... This is not one of the two major moments I enjoyed, but one was Yoshi P as the Reaper, but then also as a side consolation, or a third place, if I had to pick one, or honorable mention, is um, Koji Fox... 
like basically uh, walking over to Yoshi P like he was gonna pretending to be like the Wraith. And then Twitter did not disappoint me by starting to do fan art of uh, of Michael Christopher being uh, the avatar for Yoshi P. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was such a fun moment. But the, the other thing that really stuck out to me was when they showed off the collector's edition, the physical content stuff, Yoshi P was reading uh, the chat. Somebody asked, like, hey, we want to see the pin again. We didn't get a good look at it. And when they uh, they showed off the content, it wasn't just a giant screenshot. They actually physically rolled out a cart with all the stuff on there. And then Yoshi was picking things up, and they are doing zoom-ins. And when chat was asking to see the pin again, like, he asked to pull the cart out, and he ran over to the cart. He didn't walk. He ran to the cart to make sure that people could uh, see it as quickly as possible. It's a little touch, but it was amazing to see that. Because it's just a, a, another reason why Yoshi P is such a fantastic human being who honestly cares about his fans. He cares about his team. Like, he just wants to he just wants to make people happy. And that's so, so refreshing and so exciting to see. And to see him be so silly and wonderful and awesome. And just the small act of him running to the stage was just it was just delightful. It was such a delight to see that. Um, so the the first day ended with the the piano concert, which I I I adore the soundtracks to Final Fantasy fourteen. I really really do. The piano mixes are are absolutely wonderful. And there's a couple things that, that just stick out because of COVID. They uh, the couple folks who traditionally sing uh, during some of the songs like tomorrow. Uh, what, what's the track called? Tomorrow and tomorrow. Tomorrow after tomorrow or tomorrow. Hold on, I'm, I'm going to pull this real quick. And Final Fantasy fourteen tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow and tomorrow, I'm sorry. So the singer for that couldn't be there just due to social distancing and the pandemic and stuff. But they did record her singing, and it was played uh, on top of the piano player singing, and she played beautifully. But then after those performances, uh, Soken, the lead composer for fourteen, shows up on stage with this weird, like, kazoo thing. Uh, goes to the middle of the stage goes like, do you know Lahi? Which is one of the tracks from from Shadowbringers, and then proceeds to sing it in so such a weird off key tone. The piano player in the background, who I'm assuming was not told that this was going to be happening, and just staring off is like, what the fuck is this? This is super weird. It was wonderful to see that, and it was so fun and so silly. I I and it, I just kind of can't help but just think about like when Square does stuff like this and when Final Fantasy fourteen does stuff like this, the fans just eat it up and love it. I'm just as guilty. I loved it. I loved watching that because it was so weird and silly and fun, and genuine. And that's the biggest thing is genuine when when they do stuff like this. And then they they finished off the rest of the concert too. And then Sokin went up uh, with the piano player. I, I apologize. I don't know her name. And they played uh, a long fall together, and it was just so much fun to watch them play too. It's just, oh my god, it was so cool to watch. So then day two rolls around. They have the uh, the live letter stuff. They have the Who Wants to Be a Gillionaire trivia show, which I, I missed that. I'll have to go back and watch it. And then they showed off uh, some cosplay stuff and art along the way. And I I fast forwarded all the way to the primals because I love the primals stuff. So that is Sokin's metal band. If you ever play Final Fantasy XIV and go up against any of the primals, you likely are going to be hearing uh, one of their songs. It's wonderful. They're just they're so good. And again, uh, one of the lead localization guys, uh, Koji Fox, is in the band. And to see him transform when he's when he's presenting and translating for Yoshi P or one of the other uh, Japanese uh, developers, you know he's wearing like this uh, this red polo shirt with uh, from Heaven's Word, 
on there. And then to see him then, um, like, change into, like, his uh, black pants, black shirt, white tie, and his uh, fedora hat. It's such a cool transformation to see him go from being a very friendly, very fun dude into a fucking rock god at that point. Really, really, really great stuff. And then, of course, the primals just played beautifully. The guy who does... uh, the theme song of Shadowbringers, they did the same thing uh, as they did for Tomorrow and Tomorrow. They had uh, they pre-recorded that performance. And um, and then Yoshi P went up on stage too, and he sang part of a song too. All of it was just... Again, it was just so much fun to watch this stuff. And, oh, that's a, one thing I did, mention, did not mention too. So they did, of course, play the, uh, the... As I mentioned, the complete trailer for uh, for Endwalker. I keep wanting to say Shadowbringers. For Endwalker. And the lead singer from Architects is doing the song, which, that's cool. I, I have never heard of Architects before. I started listening to their shit. I dig it. I really, really, really like it. So, but yeah, they had uh, Shadow Walker's got to do his performance. And then, again, just absolutely wonderful to hear that stuff. And they ended it on the Shadowbringers theme. Such a great finale to the concert. And then, here comes where all the emotions start kicking in, is the closing remarks. And very standard stuff that you hear for the most part. It, um, not to say, not to downplay it, but you do hear a lot of the, the developers uh, expressing their, their thanks and their gratitude to the fan base, which again, I, I, I've talked about this before on other podcasts on my streams. I love this Final Fantasy 14 community. They are some of the nicest, most welcoming players I've ever had the good fortune of uh, interacting with. I've made lifelong friends from playing this game. I have some of my favorite video game memories are the quiet moments of playing through 14. Like most recently, like a lot of the people on my server, uh, Ultros. We all got on our lunar whales. We went to Mordona, and we just made a wall of whales. And it was so it was, and you just shot the shit with the other players, and it was super fun to do that. So be able to see that was really really cool. And uh, so Sokin does uh, talks for a little while, and they kind of go around the room. And before they wrap up, uh, Sokin goes uh, center stage and kind of explains uh, some of his uh, his personal situation, which was that last year, uh, right when the pandemic hit, he was diagnosed with cancer. Um, he didn't specify which kind, but uh, he spent the next six to seven months in the hospital and undergoing chemotherapy, and re- very few people on the team knew uh, because he didn't want to worry them. And um, even saying right now, I'm, I'm kind of choking up, and he's he worked on one of the songs for Shadowbringers uh, from 5.3 called To The Edge. Uh, he worked on that from the hospital, and... You know, he was uh, he was talking about how like, he would talk to Yoshi P about this, and and Yoshi P was asking, you know, what you're working so hard, like why are you working so hard? Um, you need to focus on getting better. And Soka's response to that was that this gave him purpose, um, and it helped him get through uh, going through the chemotherapy. And like he just said that the vi- video games that was proof that the video games can heal. And I, I'm getting. Sorry, uh, I'm getting choked up right even just right now, kind of thinking about it. It's just it it meant the world to him, and he he did it for the fans, and because he was the fans were expecting amazing music, and he wanted to deliver, it and he didn't he didn't let cancer stop him. And while he's kind of talking, Yoshi P turns around, and he's just you can he's crying, and a lot of the folks on stage are crying too. I was bawling uh, through the whole thing, and. Um, Yoshi was telling the story that when he first got onboarded to uh, work on repairing Final Fantasy XIV, that you know he was uh, we had one of his first staff meetings and everyone was kind of looking at him like like kind of like who who is this guy like he's going to be the one who's going to save fourteen, and it was Soken who came forward and said uh, who kind of cheered everyone else say like let's do this let's get to work let's make a really great game, and they've been friends ever since, 
and um, and then just seeing Yoshi, you know, just saying like, you know, I got my best friend back, and then just seeing Soka start to cry, and then I'm I'm crying now. Um, that um, and he says, you know, like, you know, welcome back, Soka, and he says like, I'm glad to be back, and it's just ball like i uh so they do that and then uh yoshi just says you know thank you all very much we hope to see you guys soon and um and that was the, the end of the presentation and he does give uh they do give thanks to the uh to all the uh the healthcare workers out there in the world uh who've gone through absolute hell over the last year and i think one thing that i thought was actually even really cool on top of that as well was that when Sokin was thanking everybody he also thanked uh square's hr department who helped him uh continue to work while he was going through uh through his chemo and radiation therapy and for me somebody who works in human resources in the video game industry just seeing something like that was just that he even took the time to specifically identify their hr department was just that was cool that that it reminded me of why i enjoy what i do and why i love this industry so much too and um but also again like just hearing him talk about like just how important this game is to not only to us the fans and the players but also to the developers themselves too, like how this is absolutely a labor of love for them. And they, they do this not because they, uh, they have to, but because they want to, because they don't want to let us down. It, it was so touching and it was so just, it was perfect. It was just a beautiful moment. Just to show how much this game means to, to everybody. It really does. And it just reminded why I love this community so much and why I have such massive respect for Yoshi P and Soken. And um, and just their dedication to to this game and to each other, it was it was a beautiful moment for you. It was heartbreaking. It was so it was a beautiful tragedy. Um, but I'm glad. Like uh, the happy ending though is Soken is uh, is in remission. He's almost in full remission now, and um, he says he wouldn't have gotten through without the game and without his friends and without uh, without Yoshi and just seeing the two of them just being like brothers in arms and just being just. Just being people, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot, guys. Um, so much so that as soon as the, uh, the like I said, I was crying through the whole thing, and I was supposed to start my stream uh, for today uh, right afterwards too, and I, I, I couldn't. I was just, I was crying too much because it was just, I was like initially it was that weird mix of, of all the emotions that you go through of just like you're just scared for Soken, and then you're relieved that he's doing better and just seeing what got him through it, which was just his, fr- his, his friends and his work um, and his passion uh, is what saved him. And, and it was just wonderful. It, it really was. Uh, there's no other way, no other work to really describe it at this point. Now it's just, it was just absolutely wonderful to see that and to see and that he is recovering too. And that, um, yeah, it was it, like I said, um, I can, I, I need to kind of stop myself before I start crying again, but it was, it was one of the most emotional kind of experiences as a gamer that I've ever had. And also, and even beyond that, just even as a person, like I talked about this on, on my stream or even earlier today. Like I, I've talked before about how much I, uh, I absolutely adore the band rush and I genuinely do. It's my favorite band of all time. I think Neil Peart was an absolute genius and his, his passing hit me very, very hard because he was also not, was he the drummer, but he was the, uh, the lead lyricist. Uh, and their last album, uh, clockwork angels, uh, is a very, very personal album to me. But when he died, like I said, it ruined my day. It absolutely did. Um, but there's something about like when Sokin passed, uh, said he was diagnosed with cancer that just 
like it hit me at like much more my soul for um and not and this is absolutely not to downplay Neil Peart's passing at all too because that was uh, obviously just that one hurt a lot too but um it's just it's just a weird it, it, it kind of struck me too just how much his music means to me as well like Neil Peart's means the world to me too and I I, I still listen to Rush to this day but um maybe it's the fact that because Sokin uh, was there to tell his story too I think it kind of hit me hard uh, because you're hearing him tell the story and that I think that's like now that I'm saying it out loud I think that's what it is it's more I think hearing the story live like just like hit my soul um and but then also to see just the joy afterwards for two just of uh Ahsoka's recovery for two just I think it was it was just that combination of just that roller coaster of emotion of just the of just fear and then joy and happiness and just relief all of that just kind of I think culminated uh for me where I think maybe with Neil Pert uh, it was just like I had to just deal with it like he was gone I had to make peace with the fact that my favorite band uh is never going to be the same um and I could but I still appreciate the music and stuff um I think I was able to process that one a little bit easier for it, I think maybe, but uh, as a result of that too, um, just knowing there's the finality to it too, versus I think um, maybe the, um, just kind of hearing from the person themselves too. So I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling a little bit here. I apologize. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a great way of, uh, of ending it and just knowing that like, just, just seeing that passion for it. But that was uh, the, the fan fest, at least from my experience for it. If, if you uh, let me know, uh, either on Twitch or on social media, what you guys uh, thought of the of the ex- ex- expo, uh, the I keep saying the expo, the fan fest, and also let me know. Like uh, one thing I did not see on there, uh, maybe I missed it, is uh, Hildebrand content. So again, for those of you who are just listening for the first time or don't play Final Fantasy XIV, Hildebrand is just silly content. It's a quest line in, in the game that is just. It's just joy. It's just pure, raw fucking joy, and it's hilarious, and it's fun, and it's it's always been a highlight. They couldn't do it for Shadowbringers because of the pandemic, and they just weren't, didn't have the time and uh, resources to be able to create uh, a Hildebrand story for Shadowbringers, and it doesn't quite fit in the Shadowbringers universe since um, Shadowbringers takes place in a alternate uh, reality, and uh, Hildy is very much stuck in, uh, in Aorzea Prime, or at least that's what I'll call it. So we're hoping to see uh, see him here in in Endwalker, but um, but yeah, guys, thank you so very much for for uh, for listening. Uh, I need to stop early right now because again, I'm I'm again feeling a bit emotional right now for uh, after hearing about Sokin. Um, but yeah, let me know let me know what you guys think. Uh, I will be doing. Uh, I'm still going to be working out how often I will be doing this personal podcast itself. Um, maybe weekly, maybe maybe every two weeks. We'll see. Uh, but for the time being, though, uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be doing doing this one. This is a lot longer than my previous podcast, but um, there's a lot to talk about, and this was uh, there's a lot of emotion in this one too. So thank you guys very much. I tip my hat to you as only a wonderful man can. Have a fantastic day, and I will catch you guys next time.